open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read some of it. This may be where the train goes off the track, right here. But I'm going to read some of it. I'm actually going to read verses 1 through 14. And we're not going to study any of it because it's too long. I want you to grasp some concepts at the beginning of the reading, though. One concept that I want you just to consider because it's fun is this is the longest sentence in the entire Bible. Okay, it's not the longest verse. In English, we broke it up into verses and we actually added punctuation that's not there. In the Greek, when Paul penned this, some think that he actually orated this, he actually spoke it and he had a little guy there, uh, you know, typing real quick or something. And it's the longest run-on sentence in the entire Bible. One glorious, grand thought that's going to take us 17 years to get through. <laughs> if we're lucky. So I want to read it to you. I want you to get it. And I want you to, guys, I'm going to do a lot of talking today. And you guys got to do a lot of reading this week. Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Sit down, read it. Read it in first person, third person, second person. Read it to your kids. Read it to yourself. Take all the pronouns out of the book. The, the they, we, him, us, and, and put your own name there and watch your face melt. As you begin to understand the riches that God has given to us in Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. Because when I begin to talk about riches, you, you think, oh, a miracle just happened. I better check my bank account. <laughs> I've got riches, Luke said, and your bank account might not adjust. The riches that you and I have right now, today, are in Christ. They're in the heavenlies. They're in the spiritual blessings. And that changes everything. It's what I'll say a couple times today. It's the one thing that changes everything. You thought if you won the lotto bucks that you, that would change everything. And it would. And so God loves you too much to let that happen to you. <laughs> Lord, test me. No, I have tested you. I gave you 50 bucks and you blew it. You know, <laughs> why do you think you didn't win? I don't know why I said that. <laughs> So as we read this, look for that theme, in Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm just I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm gonna, I don't want you to miss this. Paul uses the phrase or derivatives similar to it, in Christ, 216 times throughout his 13 epistles. He's always talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And the only reason somebody ever repeats themselves 216 times is for two reasons. Number one, it's important, very important. I can't underscore it enough. I'll spend the rest of my time in Ephesians underscoring it. It's very important. Number two, there's a likelihood that you'll forget it. You're going to forget the most important thing about you. Does that sound like bad news today? The most important thing about you, you're likely to forget on a day-to-day. You're likely to leave it behind. You're likely to focus on something else. You're likely to get distracted, get discouraged, get disappointed by everything else other than the one thing that matters most about you, which is your position in Christ. Let's read. I'm way, way, way digressing. Here we go. I'm going to read. I just want you to get this. I'm going to try and do it in one breath. Just kidding. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's you. Intercede your name or interject your name in these verses. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 3 through 14 is the longest sentence in the Bible. Here it goes. (laughs) Paul is free... Freaking out as he's writing this. By the way, coincidentally, I'll unpack this later. Paul, when penning this, is in the Roman county jail. He's in jail. 
Okay, that's where he's at. He's not at some summer writing camp. He's not on some Mediterranean beach hanging out. He's not at the church at Ephesus. He's not at the church at Philippi. He's not at the church at Colossae. He's at the prison of Rome. And he's like, what should I do? I'm in jail. Well, I am in jail physically, but spiritually I'm in Christ. I think I'll write the Bible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, can you do anything good in jail? Can you do anything good when you're knocked down, when you're discouraged, when things aren't? Can you, can you do anything good at all? Well, it depends on where you really are. It depends on what's really been done for you. It depends. And you might be waiting right now for a breakthrough in your own life. Get out of your cubicle. Get out of this ditch. Get out of this relationship. Get behind that, out of that desk or from this job. Out of your car. Christine lives in her car. I need something new. Or, or Paul, who said, you know what? I've learned in all things to be content, whether in this or in that. I'm going to write letters while I'm in jail, and they're going to change the world. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's you, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us alive in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, that's order, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the promise of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he or we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You, who is, the, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we begin the ascent, that is the climb, that is the journey into the depth of the riches detailed and declared and recorded in the book of Ephesians. We ask your mercy upon us. We ask, Lord, your transformation in us. We ask, Lord, your work to be done among us. We ask, Lord, for your glory to be around us, your peace to be, Lord, through us. We just ask that you to be God. That's pretty much all we need you to do. Just be God in our lives. Take over and lead us and make us those who are in Christ, created once beforehand in your image, fallen, yet redeemed and restored, reconciled, blameless and holy. Lord, there's some dichotomies here that are even confusing to me as I look at my natural state. And so, Lord, we ask for spiritual eyes to understand spiritual things. Bless, Lord, this church. Bless those who are streaming online. Bless the household of faith for your glory, Lord. We truly need you. We pray, Lord, you would silence the enemy right now in Jesus' name and open up the understanding of our hearts to the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. Who here uh, has heard of the Grand Canyon? Okay, let's just do this for fun. Has anybody in here never, ever heard of the Grand Canyon? Like, what's that? Is that in Lincoln City? Like, you've never heard of it. You just, okay, we've all heard of the Grand Canyon. Every one of us have heard of it. How many of you guys have actually been there, though? Raise your hands. Okay, let's do it the other way. How many of you guys have never been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hands. Okay, it's about a 50-50 split. Half of you have never been to the Grand Canyon, yet you've all heard of it. Let me ask the people who've been there. When you got to the Grand Canyon, were you on the north rim or the south rim? Raise your hand if you were on the the north rim. Raise your hand if you're on the south rim. Raise your hand if you don't remember. (laughs) Right. I'm like, uh... I don't know, you know, wherever, you, wherever the parking lot was. There was a parking lot and a big sign that said, don't, you know, stop here. And, you know, I don't remember either, but I saw it. And let me ask you a few more questions about the Grand Canyon. Everyone's heard of it. Half of you have been there. Half of you don't remember being there. And, and so when you saw it, those who did, did you, did, you, did you hike down? Did you see it from the bottom up? Did you just see it from the top down? Did you float the river? Did you stop in one of the cubicles and watch a documentary? Did you talk to a tour guide or a professional or a local? How did it go for you? Did you spend many days there, many hours there? Or did you just drive by and find out it's 20 bucks to park? And you're like, I'm out of here, you know? <laughs> How did it go for you? <sighs> it has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just curious. <laughs> Actually, it does a little bit. Here's the deal. The book of Ephesians is kind of like it's the Grand Canyon of the Bible, it's, it's so ominous and glorious and big that everyone's heard of it. Not everyone's been there. Those who have been there maybe don't remember it because it's just, yeah, it was awesome, and I'd love to go back. I had a real, my, my story is interesting. I actually went to Prescott, Arizona to visit Pastor Bo and Pastor Matt. They were both living in Prescott, Arizona at the time, many, many years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And my wife and I then traveled up to uh, northern uh, Arizona, and saw the Grand Canyon. I don't even remember it, you know. I, I, have, I saw it. It was cool, but I'd love to go back. Wouldn't you love to go back? And we got to float the Snake River there a little bit and do some stuff. And here's the deal. We're in Ephesians, though, and as we travel through, I want you to, in your morning time, at your life groups, and in your meditation, I want you to realize that the book of Ephesians is like the Grand Canyon. It deserves another look all week long, Okay. As a matter of fact, I was looking up some facts about the Grand Canyon. I'll keep them all to myself because they're not pertinent. And my son, Noah, he looked at it. He's like, whoa, on the, on the computer. Whoa, what's that? So that's the Grand Canyon. He's like, whoa, wh- what made that? And then I said, what do you think made it? And he said, the worldwide flood. And I said, good job. <sighs> do, your, do your history. Anyways, check this out. The book of Ephesians deserves and demands another look. As a matter of fact, throughout history, I'm going to do a little bit of background. Not much. We're going to do that next week. I just want to set the tone, though. But know this to be true. The book of Ephesians has been called the queen of the epistles, the quintessence of Paulinism. It's been called the divinest composition of man, which I would, by the way, rival that with the book of Romans. I believe the book of Romans is the divinest composition of man. We went through Romans three years ago. You can check that out online. It's not only been called that, it's been called the Waterloo of commentators. Most commonly, it's known as the Alps of Ascension because it takes us from where we are physically. Anybody physical right now? Like You're doing it? You're here? Okay. You know, just, I'll raise my hand for you. Don't worry about it. And it takes us into the heavenlies. We ascend into where Paul says we're actually seated with God in the heavenlies. Like, is there Dutch bros there? <laughs> How's that look? I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of stuck here in this dichotomy. I feel like I'm here. Paul says I'm there. What's really going on? It's just the Alps of Ascension. And here's the deal. The book 
uh, truly takes us into that heavenly scene like no other book of what I would call foundational doctrine. Okay, this book will ground you. This book will give you that foundation. It'll give you that grounding. It'll give you that ability to grow. And one of the reasons why we're going through Ephesians as a leadership here, um, why we are in this book and why we feel confident moving forward is because of the grounding and the growing nature of Paul's letters. Uh, In your Bible, they're called epistles. And when you study one of Paul's books exegetically, to exegete means to read a verse, to extract something legit, exegete, I made that part up, but it's true, extract something legit and apply it to your life, to exegete the Bible, it's what we do. And when you do that with Paul's letters, the epistles, you'll be grounded, okay, and you'll grow. Honestly, in the last uh, nine months, we've spent uh, time in Jonah, Daniel, and Esther, okay, nine months in the Old Testament. Before that, we spent 20 months in the Gospel of John. And uh, going through those great stories, the gospel coming out throughout the entirety of every single message, every single portion of scripture, the gospel. And here's what's happened in those 29 months. The church has doubled, if not tripled in size. It's grown because people are drawn to the truth. I I need you to get that. You love the truth, whether you know it or not. And the way I prove that is, do you like to be lied to? (laughs) I know. Okay. Okay. Pretty innate. You love the truth. Even if you don't like the truth, you want, you'd rather have the truth. And when the truth is preached, people show up and people get fed and people get changed. And I'm actually kind of panicking a little bit in my spirit. I asked the Lord a couple weeks ago, about a month or two ago, I was like, Lord, what do we do with all these people? What are we going to do? I need them to grow. They need to be grounded. I don't want to blow it as their pastor. They're showing up, Lord. And the Lord said, take them to the epistles. Take them to the book of Ephesians because it will ground them. It will grow them. It will do for them what they need in these next steps, weeks, months, and years of their life as they pursue Christianity in a fallen, stormy, crazy world. We built a house here in Agate Beach when we moved here back in 2011. We moved in April 2nd, 2011. I was there when they were framing up the house. And as they framed up the house, they had these big rebar bolts coming up out of the foundation. And on the four corners, they had these big bolts coming up and these special hurricane ties that were fastened to the each four corners of the house. And there was the kind of a new um, requirement from the city. And this, they told me all about it. These are the hurricane ties that we haven't always been using. And I was like, what's a hurricane tie for? And they're like, a hurricane. <laughs> it's, for, it's for when something comes and wants to mess your house up, it won't. It's grounded. It's rooted. It's bolted to the foundation. And here's the deal. There's going to be a storm coming in your life. You might already be there. And you're excited about Jesus. And you're stoked on Jonah. And you're stoked on Esther. And you're stoked on Daniel. And you're stoked on God in real-time events. I hope you are. I hope, I hope you are. But then all of a sudden, when the storm hits, you need to know what is the truth when it doesn't feel like the truth. And Paul goes to great lengths in the book of Ephesians. All of his epistles, read them. Be very familiar with the Pauline letters. There's 13 of them to enjoy for the rest of your life. It's to grow you, okay? It's that we might find ourselves ready. Doctrine, I would say this profoundly. (laughs) I say profound stuff sometimes. Doctrine is the most important thing about you. You're like, what's doctrine? (laughs) Doctrine is teaching, truth. It's teaching. It's the the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Paul, the doctrines of the Bible. That's the most important thing about you. So having a firm understanding of the doctrines, the teaching, what the Bible says is going to then catapult you, anchor you, hurricane tie you down to the foundation of Jesus in the storms of life, which I cannot keep you from. I've done premarital counseling by the hundreds. 
And I always tell the couple, I'm going to tell you everything I know. I'm going to tell you stuff that I don't know. I'm going to tell you stuff that somebody else knows. I'm going to tell you everything you need to get through the storms that are coming. And I always remind them because they're usually in love, premarital, count, premarital counseling. And I always say, I'd love to keep you from the storms. Wouldn't that be sweet? Here's the deal. Just do this and you won't have a storm. <laughs> You're getting married. It's going to be stormy. Okay, and this is going to help you. It's going to equip you. This is the doctrine. This is the truth. And when you guys know the truth, okay, doctrine is the most important thing about you uh, because it's what you know, okay? And what you know, unlike what the world says, I'm going to try and I'm going to teach you. It's going to become kind of heady for, for a little bit here. But what you know determines what you do, okay? The world would say it differently. What you do will determine what you know or what you do determines who you are, okay? But the Bible has it totally different. Doctrine, that's the teaching. It determines what you know, which will determine what you do. I'll say it this way also. Doctrine determines who you are. I need to say that again. Doctrine, teaching, determines who you are. Did you know you can today settle the argument, the question, the battle of the mind in who you are today? Because right now, each and every one of you are pursuing status, identity, something, a goal, good goals, okay? aspirations. God, though, has declared already an identity over you, who you are. He's, it's already done. And you and I wake up, and the first thing we say is, there's stuff to do. There's stuff to get. And usually we go after the things we can attain because it feels real good. You ever make a, a to-do list, and the first thing on the list is make a to-do list? And you're like, scratch that off. Killing it. You know what I'm saying? Do that. It's fun. It's encouraging. I don't do that either. That's funny, though. <laughs> Doctrine, though, determines. It declares who you are, which will then determine what you do. Okay? So what you know determines who you are. Now, the world, again, teaches something completely different. I'll just say this at the beginning. The world teaches that what you do determines who you are. That's really cool if you're really good at stuff. What you do determines who you are. That's self-help. That's the world. Do this and you'll be this. Oh, cool. Is there a book on that? Is there a stepladder? Is there somebody I can step on to do this and then I'll become? It's backwards. It's the whole world that you live in. You're actually constrained to it right now. You've actually submitted to it in a thousand different ways today. You're going to try and do to become. God says you have already become, therefore do. It's totally different. It's kind of like going to the Grand Canyon. It's going to take a little bit to view it and to understand it and to hike it and to realize that you're on the north rim when you thought it was the south rim. You know, you're going to have to get familiar with this reality. And here, Paul, just give you a little bit of the background. Paul, in prison, writing to the church at Ephesus, he loved the church at Ephesus. He spent three years there building it, teaching at the school of Tyrannius daily, sweating, healing people, teaching. And so as he's in prison, he's like, oh, my brothers and sisters in Ephesus, what, oh, what could I tell them about? the riches that are in Christ, that they are seated in Christ, that it's all in Christ. I don't want them to be mistaken and to follow a world system that says do to become, okay? You have already become in Christ, so now you can do. This changes everything. Okay, I'm gonna say the same thing over and over and over in like 19 different ways just to get it into your head, okay? So don't think you're hearing doublespeak. You are hearing doublespeak, okay? It's gonna happen all day long. So, um, Again, what the world says is what you do determines who you are, and that's just self-help, worldly wisdom. 
As a matter of fact, the world says it this way. Do this and you'll become something. God says you are something. Therefore, now you can do this. Uh, so who you are determines what you do. You ever thought about that? Who you are, it just determines what you do. If you're a firefighter, guess what you fight? Fire. Thank you. <laughs> thought that was going to go over your heads. I'm going to have to pull out the Sunday school kids, you know. What you, who you are determines what you do. And so in Christ, who are you in Christ? Who do you think you are? It's a good question to ask yourself. Who do you think that you are in Christ right now? As you woke up this morning, as you traveled to church, as you're going to leave, who do you think you are? You're like, oh, I'm a work in progress. I, I, got, you know, I know I'm glad I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I need to be. You know? who, who are you in Christ? Who do you think you are? I don't really think much of myself at all. I don't know what goes through your mind. And as we go through the book of Ephesians, he'll declare who you are. He'll tell you who you are in Christ because of Jesus, because of his power, his victory, and his purpose. You're in him. I'll just give a super simple illustration. This is my Bible. I take it everywhere I go. And when I take my Bible, not only do I take my Bible, I take what's in my Bible. And in my Bible, I've got a little picture of my daughter. There's my daughter, a little soccer star. First goal ever scored on her own goal. That's good stuff right there. She's in my Bible, just tucked away, hidden in here. So she's hidden. This is my Bible, but it's also her. And when you become in Christ, even if you accidentally scored your first goal on your own goal, <laughs> yay! You know, <laughs> coach is like, uh, uh, yay. God looks at you as you're doing what you do. And it may not be perfect, it may not be great. He says, Well, are you in me? Are you in Christ? Yeah, I am. <laughs> You're in then. Everything that Christ has is now yours. And you don't feel that way, and the world doesn't treat you that way. And so Paul declares it to you, lest you be discouraged and walk aimlessly, even in your own prison sentencing, like Paul was going through right here. Okay? So who you are determines what you do, like a firefighter. This is the one thing that changes everything, okay, because what you do will change from time to time. Have you realized that? What you do changes. Okay, we're in this pursuit of what I would just call at the beginning achieved identity. Everyone say achieved identity. You're under this constraint in a thousand different ways. It's just the way it is. This is how our world works. It's achieved identity. What I do determines who I am. That's the worldly system. But nonetheless, we are subject to it and it happens, but it confuses us, derails us, discourages us, or it elevates us, puffs us up and prides us and distances us from people when our achievement is above the curve. It's a dangerous road. There's three levels of, achie- uh, three levels of identity that I want to speak of this morning by way of priming the pump for us to understand why Ephesians, what's Paul talking about? What's he saying? How does this apply to my life? Who are you is a question. Who do you think you are is a different question. Paul's going to tell you who you are. Do you understand that? How how God sees you in his son. He's going to tell you straight up. This is how God sees you. Who do you think you are is a different question altogether. It's the battle of the mind. It's the battle of belief. Do I trust what God has declared or am I believing in the worldly system that I'm living in? This is the question that changes everything about you. And again, it's back to that doctrine. Who am I? Who has God said I am? And who do I think I am? 
Okay, identity is what you think of yourself. Now, this is achieved identity. This is something that we have in our lives until the day we die. You're going to deal with this today, tomorrow, and beyond, and it's going to change as you get older, as life stages come and go, and you find yourself entering into eternity. Okay, achieved identity. It's what you say about you. Uh, this is how the world works. Okay, it starts at birth and it continues until that final day. We see this every day of our lives, don't we? Uh, who do you think I am? Now, let me just ask you that question. When somebody says, hello, my name's Luke Frechette and I am a pastor at South Beach Church. What's your name? Oh, I am so-and-so. I fill in the blank in your own head. Who do you think you are? And most of us go to our vocation or our major main responsibility in a formal introduction setting like that when you're meeting somebody. But all of us struggle with this from time to time. And instead of introducing yourself to a stranger, ask the question right now, who am I? Do it for yourself. Just spend a few seconds. Who do you, who do you think you are? Are you tall? No. Are you short? Are you rich or are you poor? Are you smart or are you dumb? Are you the funny one or are you the serious one? Are you attractive or are you ugly? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Are you hopeful or are you hopeless? Are you married or are you single? Notice there are smiles for both. Are you married? Are you divorced? What defines you? Are you loved? You know it. Or are you hated? Are you popular or unpopular? Are you a Cardinal fan? <laughs> or, or a Packer fan? Oh, man. We actually have a replay from the last four minutes of the game last night. Can we just roll that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wow, that got in the way of my study time. I'm going to confess my sin. That was, well. Hmm. Anyway, okay. Who are you? Who, who do you think you are? Do you, do you rent your home or, or do you own it? Do you, do you drive a truck, you know, like a man? Or do you drive an SUV like a man with a family? Do you drive a minivan like... Someone who used to be a man until he got a family. <laughs> who, do you who do you think you are? Identity. We're chasing after it. Again, this is, there's three levels of identity we're going to talk about. I want you to grasp this in your thinking. Achieved identity. This is the most pertinent to our walk on earth. But it's also the most likely to change. It's the most dangerous. And God doesn't want you to be driven by your achieved identity. That is what I can achieve. What can I get? Because what you can get can change so fast. You can get that athleticism you've been wanting and then an injury. You can get that relationship you want and then it fails. You can get that job you want and then it's the pink slip. You can get that house that you want and then inflation, the market drops. You can get any... You, it changes does your identity in Christ <laughs> waver? Answer the question for yourself. You need to get that. Does it change? Is it protected? Is it profound? 
Is it truly what anchors you to the foundation of Jesus Christ? You're in him. <laughs> and then the things around you, the achieved identity will ebb and flow. This starts very young, okay? Starts at uh, our birth. And when you're born, you ask questions like, uh, are you the firstborn, the middle kid, or the baby? What's your identity? It's an achieved identity. You just got it in that way. And as you grow up, asking questions like, were you the tall kid? Were you the fat kid? Were you the funny kid, the quiet kid, the shy kid? Were you the athletic one, the smart one, the arty one, the weird one, the homeschooled one? Raise your hand if you're homeschooled. Hoorah. As you grow up, okay, it moves into high school. Okay, high school is crazy. Any high schoolers here? Let's just pray for them right now. High school is such a defining time. These four years that are the most important years of your life. (laughs) Until they're done, then you're like, oh, that didn't even matter. That actually didn't even matter. Why didn't they tell me that didn't matter? If you would have known in high school that it didn't matter, you wouldn't have taken things so seriously. And in high school, it's everything matters when you're just right there as a, as a kid. It's the only thing in your dates and your peers and your cliques and your disposition. Am I going to be a part of this group? What's my identity? My achieved identity? Am I going to be in the band? Am I going to be a jock? Am I going to be a, a, a stoner? Am I going to be a skater? Am I going to wear tight pants, baggy pants, no pants? What? You're identifying yourself. You been to high school? <laughs> it continues. It continues into college. This is where you get an opportunity to do a redo. You move from your family. You get your fresh start, unless you go to a community college in your hometown. But you go somewhere else, and you show up, and you're like, hey, I got got a new identity. I get to pick a new pattern here. What am I going to do? What are my standards? What are my parameters? Am I going to be one who goes out all night or studies all night? Am I going to go around and do whatever they're doing? Am I going to have this ideal in my mind? And you get to go to college. And sometimes finishing college is your goal. And for some of us, that means dropping out. It's the same as graduating, isn't it? Yeah, I finished. And uh, you make up all these decisions. He reminded me of a story this morning. Brian White, you guys know Brian White. He plays music here occasionally. He's a musician in Nashville. And he actually went to Nashville and found this girl at a coffee house that he kind of liked. And so he found out where she was going to school and what classes she was taking and actually went to one of her classes pretending to be a student, went through the whole semester there until the finals, taking all the tests, taking all the quizzes, just to pretend to be what he wasn't in order to meet this girl. Didn't go well for him anyways. (laughs) Sorry, Brian White. By the way, to make up for that, throwing him under the bus, go buy his new album that came out on Friday. So iTunes, W-H, um, I, or W-I-G-H-T, White. Anyways, then you graduate from college or you quit, whatever the case may be, and you have a crisis now. What do I do now? Do I move home with my parents? I'm 23. They don't want me home, you know? I move home, I'm living at home, or this, and I'm in debt now. Am I a professional? Did my career work? And did I actually want to enter into my career field that I graduated with? I think it's a high 90s. High 80s or 90 percentile of those who graduate with a career in mind actually don't go into that career field after they complete college. Um, it's just that people are figuring out my, my identity. And eventually, uh, by God's grace, you get married and uh, you find yourself married with kids. You've got decisions to make. Where do we live? Who are my friends? What are my hobbies now? And when you got married, by the way, you got married because this person you fell in love with was going to help you become the person you wanted to be. They thought the same thing. <laughs> you got, you got, woo, and you got married, and now you're identifying yourself. What do we do? And what are, again, our hobbies? And how is our last name being rung around other people's tables? It's an achieved identity crisis. Where will we live? 
How's it going to go? Then your marriage, you begin to have kids if you're blessed with that. And what are my kids like? What are, what are they going to do? And what, what do I want people to think of my kids? And how can I navigate their lives? And what about my own career? Am I successful? Am I influential? Am I marginal? And then oftentimes, as your identity continues to develop over the years, eventually your kids get older and they leave the house. Now, all of a sudden, what you've been living for is gone and you find yourself as empty nesters. And by and large, a lot of marriages at this point find themselves struggling. Their their source of identity, fallible, frail source of identity, the kids, oftentimes the idol of the house has left the house now. What do we do? We used to go out on weekends. We used to travel to events. We used to go to church because of the kids. And we used to do this because of the kids. The kids are gone now. And all of a sudden, the marriage is in turmoil, oftentimes ending in divorce because their purpose their identity wasn't in christ it's in lesser things okay this is the pitfall of achieved identity okay here's the here's the deal we can't achieve just know this right now we're going to get to the identity that's received in a minute but in your achieved identity you'll never be able to achieve it well enough i'm just letting you know it'll never be good enough It'll never be enough, whether it's your marriage you've been working on, your parenting skills, your social skills, your uh, hobbies, your adventures and experiences and your financial prowess. It'll never be enough as you achieve because it's so frail. This is, again, we are locked into this as humans. We are both, all of us here, pursuing this as fast as we can, but we can't achieve it well enough. Okay, Eventually, our bodies will fail, finances, relationships, And again, the world says what you do determines who you are. That's what he started with. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. What you do is not who you are, okay? Who you are in Christ will determine, will aid you, will help you, will guide you into doing what God wants you to do, okay? That's achieved identity. I just want you to wrap your mind around that. Now now let's just consider what I would call deceived identity, okay? Achieved identity is what the world says about you. Who do you think you are? So frail. Like a carrot in front of us. Then there's even worse, though, the deceived identity. This is what not you say about yourself or what the world thinks about you. This is what the devil says about you. Okay? This is what Satan says about you. Satan is called in the scriptures the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses us from 3.30 to 4.30 in the afternoon. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? He accuses us, Pacific Mountain Time, from... Four. No. Satan is the accuser of their brethren, accusing the brethren night and day. Well, he is constantly in your grill, constantly in your head, constantly challenging you, constantly stepping on your throat spiritually, stepping on your soul, stepping on your mind. I had to remind myself of that this morning because I didn't want to be here. Pastor Matt asked me, hey, how you doing? You feeling all right? You know, you're good. You know, everything good? I was like, I just kind of want to go home and go to bed. And he's like, that doesn't sound like you. And I said, no, I'm just, I can't, I can't lie. I'm being honest. Just feeling the accuser of the brethren. Accusing you. He, he doesn't stop. Okay? He uses lies and he uses the truth, by the way. Those are his two arsenals. He'll, he'll use the truth with you when you're failing, when you're having problems. He'll just bring it right to you. Okay? You can shove the truth right back in his face that you are in Christ. Okay? It's not me who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. I'm crucified. I'm done. I've been enveloped in Christ. Here's the deceived identity, though. It started in the very beginning. 
very beginning, Genesis 3, you can write this in your notes, Genesis 3, right around verse 5. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 is when Eve and Adam were tempted. You guys know the story. Listen to this. This deceived identity. Eve and Adam having a great time, their identity established, they're in Christ. As a matter of fact, it was established so succinctly that in chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, identity is laid out. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Whoa. God determined with the Trinity, the triune powers that rule the world. Let's make man and women. Let's do it in our image and in our likeness. Does that sound like pretty clear identity? You were made in the very image of God. In his image, both male and female, he made them. Whoa. Satan comes along. We don't know how many days, weeks, years later. We know it's two chapters in chapter three. And he says to Eve, are you sure God doesn't want you to eat that? Because in the day you eat of it, you won't die. As a matter of fact, you'll see. And you'll have knowledge of good and evil. And listen, here's his lie. And you'll be like God. Let's just consider this for a second. The temptation that he brought towards Eve was good. Everything that he offered her was actually really good. You'll, you'll, you'll see better, you'll, you'll know better, and you'll be like God. Like, who doesn't want that? Check this out. They already had that. He had already established that. It had already been declared. He, they were already made in his likeness. They were already just like God, not gods. Don't misunderstand or misquote me. They were just like, they had nothing else to add or to upgrade. To, they had already received it. We'll talk about received identity in a minute. All of a sudden, Satan, through deceived identity, ooh, you can be, and then entering into the achieved identity race, which we still suffer under. Just do this and you'll get that. <gasps> really? That simple? Yep, that simple. Sign up here. You're on the bottom of the pyramid. It'll be awesome. Sign up, just do this, and you'll get that. <laughs> okay. Where God had already declared, you're in. You're, we made you in our image. Like, we're good. We, we, this is already. And the accuser of the brethren is leading you, tricking me, lying to us our entire lives, saying, you need this to become that. Christ says, you've already become that. Now you can do this. Completely different than the world's ideals. This deception happened in the Garden of Eden and is now our daily fight every single hour. God had already determined who they were before they even did anything. Let me say that again, because we're going to about to get into the received identity now. There's achieved, careful. There's deceived, watch out. Then there's the received identity. Did you know that God was already pleased in Adam and Eve when they hadn't done a thing? In your achieved identity complex as a Christian, you look at God and you're kind of hiding from time to time, like, oh, okay, okay, I'm going to heaven. I better do something good. Man, I can't do anything good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you struggle. God was satisfied already in Adam and Eve. They hadn't done a thing. Completely stoked. Oh, this is good. Oh, yeah. So too in Christ, if you believe it. You ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's kind of big. Like you might, might take you more, more than one trip. You might not be an expert. But as you believe this, as you navigate towards the Lord, as you glorify Jesus, here's Paul in Ephesus in this jail. He's like, oh, can I say it enough in Christ, in him, in the beloved? Is there any way I can overemphasize this? He cannot, because it is the one thing that changes everything about you. 
It's not lotto bucks. It's not success. It's not a relationship. It's not an experience around you that changes everything. It won't. It's already been done. Do you believe it? Do you understand it? Would you journey in this book with Paul as we look into the received identity? That is what he's given to us. Here's the deal. Our identity from God, not from your own workings or from your own heritage or from your own legacy. Our identity gives us what I would call an untouchable and unchanging purpose because our identity is from heaven. Your life will change. Your faithfulness and your fruitfulness will ebb and flow. You will find yourself having dark days. Okay? Are you going to grade yourself on that curve then? Are you going to get out of bed tomorrow because you did great the day before? If that be the case, there'll be days you stay in bed. If that be the case, there'll be days you don't want to go to church like your pastor. (laughs) But if you are honest and say, Lord... Is it truly that grand that this canyon of sin that was separating us has been closed through the cross, that I'm actually in Christ and now I'm the beloved? That chapter 1, verses 3 through 13 is one sentence as Paul is oozing tears out of his eyes, writing, orating, dictating what God has done, can't keep it to himself? Is it really that profound? Is this received identity? Listen, purpose, purpose. Purpose comes from our identity, and our identity comes from Christ. Okay, God's given us the privilege of relationship with him in order to bring about his plans to save a dying world through kids who have their identity in heaven. Did you know that? I I esteem uh, military personnel, branches, all branches. I uh, esteem first responders. I uh, I esteem teachers and leaders and, and managers and business owners. I esteem moms and dads, and I I esteem any coaches and anybody who takes a position of leadership. Wow, that's cool. That's crazy. Like, that's, that's crazy. Good job. I esteem them. God has asked everyone who's in Christ, allowed everyone. He's declared everyone. Okay, you're, you live on purpose. Oh, but I don't own this, and I've never done that, and I was the guy who raised the hand who didn't know what the Grand Canyon was, you know? (laughs) I, it's not about you. It's about your purpose that has been given to you from heaven. When I was eight years old, my oldest son Noah's eight. And I thought about him today. When I was eight years old, God put that purpose in my heart. He said, you're going to work for me. You're going to be a pastor. I'm going to use you to declare the gospel to the world. I told him no. Okay, you guys know the story. I was like, I, I got things to do. I'm following Walter Payton's footsteps. Chicago Bears. 34, you guys know the story. As I settled into that calling, though, and as you today settle into that calling from God, that purpose from him, you all of a sudden, like a leader, like a CEO, like a parent, like a coach, like a first responder, like a military personnel, like the president, like somebody in charge to serve other people, your purpose can't be stopped. Doesn't matter how deceived you get from time to time. How failed you are in achieving that identity. Your identity has been established already. It has come from Christ and he's given you the privilege. I hope you see that. uh, To be in relationship with him. To live on behalf of the world under him. Do you know that's your purpose right now? That's your identity is in Christ to glorify him. Just by being in him. Just by being... Just by being a child of God. By saying yes to the Father. 
allowing the Son to save you. You all of a sudden are an ambassador of heaven. Your whole purpose has already been secured. Your whole identity has already been established. The, the hurricane ties, they're, they're fastened. You are good. You don't have to add anything to it. You get to explore it. The riches that are in Christ, and Paul uses great, flowery, deep, profound, prophetic, and prolific language in this book, which we haven't even started, <laughs> to help us to put feet to the reality of our purpose and identity that can't be changed. Your achieved identity will change. Right now it's changing. Some of you have a story. Yeah, my wife left me. My health is, I don't know, man. I'm, it's a, I'm lucky to be here today. I don't see it getting any better, Luke. My relationships with my kids are, ah. The purpose and the identity that God has given to you will not change. It is valid. It is in Christ. Again, 216 times Paul uses the language of being in him, in his epistles, because of those two reasons. It is so very important, and we're so likely to A, forget it, B, not believe it. We need to be reminded. How many times? Apparently 216. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because it changes. It's the one thing that changes everything about you. Do you see the dichotomy? Anybody not know what that word means? Dichotomy, di means two, and economy means something else. <laughs> dichotomy, you know, side by side, you know, this parallel, this paradigm. Side by side, a dichotomy means two truths that are somewhat in opposing tension. It's true and this is true. Oh, I'm secure in Christ. There's nothing that can change that. Oh, my achieved identity is changing rapidly. My kids get older as I just, I look, check the stock market and, uh, you know, I check this and uh, check the weather, uh, check my fridge, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you check. This dichotomy, this fight, this argument, this tension is what we call life in Christ. And I quoted it during the opening saying, the opening prayer, sorry, Philippians, where Paul said, I've learned, I've learned to be content. I've learned to go in this dichotomy, this parallel, this paradigm, because I'm in Christ. Now, let me just camp on one more thing, and we're going to end with just prayer and worship, communion, as we celebrate the Lord. There's two, two, two types of people in the world. That's it. Only two. Packer fan and Cardinal fan. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Two types of people, saints and ain'ts. That's the only time. Two types of people. Saints, that's who he addresses in his first opening dissertation. Ah, to the saints that are in Ephesus. To the saints and the beloved. To the saints. Saints and ain'ts. When you're born, you're not in Christ. Okay, that's just the way it is. Babies are cute, but they're not in Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible declares they are in somebody else. His name starts with A and rhymes with Adam. That's kind of funny. Adam. We're born in Adam. Adam. He's our first father. And everyone who's born bears the image and representation of Adam. We're born in this Adamic life. And if you're in the Adamic life, if you're in Adam, you are still in death. You are still an ain't. You are separated from God, born into separation. It's just the way it is. 
Now, God says, I'm not going to let people go to hell unless they go over my dead body. So I'm going to give them an opportunity to see, love, and receive my son, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to send him down, and they can find themselves by faith being found in Christ, not in Adam, through Jesus in his love and benevolence, kindness, and generosity. There's only two kinds of people in here, saints and ain'ts. And when you become a saint, it's not because of anything you've done. How many of you guys think to become a saint, you have to be like Roman Catholic or super old or remain single or, you know, have a batting average of a thousand, you know? Listen, biblical saints are those who are in Christ, okay? Those who were born as ain'ts and have been accepted by Christ through his free will invitation. You and I, if you are here today and you are in Christ, it changes everything. When the father looks at Jesus, he sees you. When you see my Bible, you get a picture of my daughter in here as well. I got Noah Nemo and my wife in here too. I got all kinds of pictures in here. And when you look at, when God looks at Jesus, he sees you in him. Do you think God likes Jesus? You think God's fond of Jesus? You think God wants to bless Jesus' work? In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Believe this, if you are in Christ here today, God is looking at you saying, I'm pleased. And you look around, and you're like, uh, what? You mean I did something good? You know what I'm saying? And the devil would come to you and say, no, 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 no. You can't, you have to still. And the world around you would say, don't get too comfortable. They're coming to get your stuff. And the Lord would declare over you today, hey, 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 eternal beings, you are in Christ you are accepted. You are beloved. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to read to you and I'm going to end with this. Here's the things that, Christ, that Paul says we are. He says in verse one, to the saints in Ephesus who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Anyone here today wake up and say, yeah, I feel pretty faithful. I feel pretty faithful. Like you're writing on your arm, faithful. Or did you wake up saying, wow, me again. Whoops, another do over today. Achieved. Idea. He says you're faithful. Okay, we're going to study this in depth next week. He says grace to you. Anybody here feel like you just are oozing grace? He says, in Christ, you have grace. He says, and peace. How many of you guys woke up this morning just, man, the peace is everywhere. I just feel peace. He says that that is yours to have. In verse three, he says, you're blessed. He goes on to say not only you're blessed, but you're chosen. He says that you're holy. He says that you're blameless. He says that you're predestined. He says that you're adopted. He says that you're filled. He says that you're sealed. He says that you're equipped. He goes on and on and on in Christ. Two types of people here, saints and ain'ts. It's the glorious gift that God has given to us. Paul, in jail, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, I know. I need to write some people. And I'm going to detail and orate what Christ offers to people, what Christ has already done, because I see the deceived, achieved reality, this deceived identity from Satan. I know he's going to mess with my brothers. I know he's going to mess with God's kids. And he saw, even in that time, this desire to become something and do something and this identity that is achieved, which is so frail and will fail. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. We'll talk about this again next week. This is just kind of introductory. I want you guys to get excited. I want you to go to a life group. I want you to start a life group. I want you to get into a life group. Did you know that right now, this Wednesday, they're going to be airing this broadcast from our stream in Arizona, Prescott, Arizona. There's a small church over there that they're doing this teaching in a life group setting at their church on Wednesday nights because they want to be in the book of Ephesians. They're excited. They heard about it. They want to get you. This is the one thing that changes everything, okay? Dichotomy. Everything around you 
We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. There were some people who went to a hotel in Burkina Faso a couple days ago and died. An Islamist attack just two days ago. Maybe, maybe Pastor Saeed Abdini. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen. Three years in the Iranian jail, just released two days ago. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I guarantee you, though, in that prison cell, he had to struggle with his achieved identity, his deceived identity, okay, and his received identity. What did, he, what did Christ say about Sahid Abdini? Hey, man, you're doing great. <laughs> this doesn't define you. This isn't, I am in you, and you are in me. I'm going to have you guys bow your heads, close your eyes, and the worship team come up, and we're going to end in response taking communion, worshiping the Lord together. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we are just excited, excited to get into your word, excited to get into something, Lord, that would foundationally ground us and grow us. The church has grown numerically, and for that I celebrate. I love these people. I love the growth. I love the excitement, Lord. The young and the old, the married, the widowed, the divorced, the Singles are all here, Lord, and in Jesus' name, we want to find ourselves growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. So, Lord, as we anticipate this book and study it through, we, Lord, look for great transformation, great fruit, great joy, and great peace from dwelling richly in Christ. Now, if there's anybody here this morning that would say, you know what? I'm not even sure what you said, but I like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> And I do want to love Jesus. I want to be in him. If that, I don't know what that means. It sounds scary and weird and illegal, but I'll, I, I want to be in Jesus. If he invites us into him, and by being in, in him, I'm accepted. We'll talk about the great exchange, the double imputation next week. That by being in Christ, he, the only way that's possible is if you would take away your sin. And the only way you could be in Christ is if he would share with you his glory. It's a great exchange. He takes your sin and he gives you his glory. And if you would need that this morning, you don't have that. And you say, I want that. I want him to take my sin. I am a sinner. I have failed. And I want his righteousness. I believe in it. I, I'll receive it. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, Lord, save me, forgive me of my sins, take my sins upon yourself and give me, Lord, the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Would you do that right now? Just raise your hand up. Lord, you see the hands going up. God, I pray you'd be honored as we hide ourselves in you, as we believe, Lord, ourselves to be in you. May this congregation be blessed, Lord. May this group of people, may we find ourselves growing even today as we take communion, as we celebrate, Lord, coming to the table. May you be honored. We trust you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me? And as you are ready to take Believer's Communion, and celebrate, come down and take your elements back to the side aisles, to your chairs. And there's people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as you remember what Christ has done anticipating his soon return.